Before we get to today's show, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group in, in Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like I am. Our sales director, Lindsay, had her wisdom teeth. You know, we've told you that story over at Green Mountain like a month ago. She said it was the best dentist experience of her life. They send you a personal card to your home. And they're a family company. You know, it's like this is what I like about Colorado. So it's a big city, but sometimes it feels like a, you know, an intimate town. It's exactly what you get at Green Mountain Dental Group. Also, of course, you know the deal. Schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. You get a free Sonicare toothbrush. Tweet at us when you go there. Let us let us know. Um, and you're going to love them. Only 15 minutes from downtown. The first step to good health is taking care of your mouth. Welcome in, everybody. Solo edition of the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, the number one rated sports gambling app, right onto your phone and start betting today. Use promo code DNVR. You get all kinds of crazy things given to you. Free bets, crazy odds boosts, just a lot of fun, especially if you're watching the games. Throw $5 down, $10, whatever you, whatever it is you're comfortable with. You don't want to go too crazy and just to really enjoy the games that much more. Today's episode of the show, guys, I'm going to give a few, you know, I, I do have an episode of the list that should be up on DNVR for you to check out pre-game. Hopefully you're listening to this as part of your pre-game routine. But I have an episode of the list you can check out, and I'm going to go over some of those notes. But there's also, um, in segments two and three, I want to turn my attention to what Denver can do to win game two and what they will what will happen if they lose game two, meaning what, what kind of things do they need to do in order to win and what kind of things might happen if they're going to lose. I think it's going to make for a really good way to sort of preview game two and get you excited for it. But first, let's get into some of these notes. Michael Porter Jr., strong first quarter is promising. He had some really good stuff in the – you know, Michael Porter is one of the guys that when I – Jokic and Michael Porter, when I went back and rewatched – both of them looked better than I thought. I thought Jokic had a good game. I, thought, I think on the first on yesterday's podcast, I said he had like a B game or something like that. I'd actually give this like a B plus. You know, maybe maybe A minus, maybe like an eighty nine percent or something like that. There were some really positive moments in this, and I think overall he was in he was confident. He was in control. Of course, knocking down the three point shot. I mean, there's a lot of good things that went a little bit overlooked because of how loud the bad moments in this game were for him. But I thought it was actually pretty good. Michael Porter, I thought, was bad, and I say that he was not disasterful. Like, he was defensively, there are some real concerns about him, but there, there were also some moments, I mean, guarding Jordan Clarkson, where he did a better job of kind of staying in front, contesting with length. He, he made more plays on that end than I thought. He was still a negative, but I would, I would say I've upgraded him from dumpster fire to merely bad after going through the tape and really getting into it. Um, he still has to get a lot better. I think the intensity level for him really threw him off, um, just kind of knowing, hey, this is the playoffs. Every possession is a battle, an absolute battle. And I'm really curious to see how he comes out in game two, what kind of mentality he has. One of the things I'm really curious about, he came out so confident and aggressive with his three-point shot. And his shots, man, you know, transition threes, kick-out threes. I mean, they're not... It's not like you always know where his points are going to come from, but it was promising that he was able to knock him down, and I'm so curious to see. I mean, I think Michael Porter, I've told you, I think he's a superstar in the making. I'm so curious to see if he comes out a little timid, a little bit of like, I don't want to mess this up for the team, or if he comes up out with that same mentality he had in the seeding games in which he said, I'm 
going I don't want to just kind of fit in. I want to be one of the reason this team's wins because I think on the offensive end there's no question about it that they could use his scoring. They could use him getting hot, not just knocking down. I mean, yesterday I think I said, you know, he can knock down some of the shots that he got. I I want to see if he comes out aggressive. He is a problem for them. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is a problem for Denver. Joe Ingles has been a problem. Like they have guys and we talk about him in that way, but Michael Porter is a problem for for the Utah Jazz, and I think Denver, they're going to be able to find, there's going to be opportunities for him with mismatches, height advantages, and maybe he's not going to just get those off of pure offensive rebounds and putbacks, but I do think that there's going to be ways for him to sort of attack undersized uh, players, get to his spots and elevate for his shots or get all the way to the rim. So I'm really, I was encouraged on the rewatch a lot more than I expected to be with Michael Porter, and I think that as, as much as anything, that's that, that's real positive. Um I thought Denver created a lot. One of the things in this game, uh, I've watched the game now three times, and I think after every viewing, I've come away a little bit more confident in Denver's ability. I, I just think Denver has a ton of adjustments they can make and a ton of things that can break in their favor, whereas Utah, in part because they're so shorthanded, I don't think they have that many things, that many adjustments to make. They could shoot better. There's certain things they can do that are better, and we're going to get to those later on, but I don't know that they have the personnel to say, okay, this is a lineup we can throw at them or that. There's, they're so limited on the, in that regard, but Denver, when I went back and watched it, I thought they created so many advantages Advantages early in the shot clock, even in that first quarter, and um, you know didn't fully take advantage of those in ways that I think Denver will take advantage. You know, in this next game, I don't think it's going to be. It, they weren't things like Utah really blocked off this option or couldn't. Denver couldn't get the switch or couldn't get the ball here or whatever. It's just the way the game sort of flowed went away from some of that, and I think that Denver is going to see some of that on tape and, and get it back. A lot of early switches, a lot of transition opportunities where they got the ball where they wanted and, and then just weren't able to sort of like capitalize on it, but I was very encouraged by the fact that they were able to sort of create things early in the shot clock that set them up for good possessions. I would bet that Paul Millsap plays a lot more on the block. First of all, I'd bet that he plays a little bit less or, or maybe this, yeah, maybe a little bit of a reduced role, although there's a, a lineup I'll talk about in a little bit that was really interesting with him. But I also think that he's going to be on the block. He had size advantage. He had Joe Ingles. He had, you know, they, they run certain plays. I, on the list, I have an example. Actually, I threw it out. I didn't I didn't keep it on the list. But there's one play where, you, where Millsap has a read where he can go to the block or he can pop out to the three. Pops out to the three. Didn't knock it down. I'd be interested to see tomorrow if Millsap is making that read, even if the defense goes way under, because I think the defense for Utah says, you know, Millsap shooting a lot of threes is a win for us. He might beat us, but it's the best of bad options if you're trying to defend the Denver Nuggets. And, I, and he didn't hit him yesterday, and I'm curious if he adjusts by trying to go down onto the block against the Joe Ingleses of the world, uh, against the Jawan Morgans of the world, and just sees if, if those guys can hang with him. Because I have a feeling that he's going to finish a lot better than he did in Game 1. Um, and again, that's it's not a huge battleground, but that's a little one that I think Millsap can, that lost in the first game pretty handily, and I think he can win it in Game 2. Um, I would also guess Denver gets more out of their cuts. I mean, they had a lot of possessions where, again, just either through bad reads or just through Denver, you know, just like sometimes it's the flow of the offense is just off. The rhythm is just a little a half step late. This cut was a half step late or, you know, just little things happen. And I think Denver's going to get a lot more opportunity. I think they're going to see how the defense defended Jokic in different scenarios. And I think they're going to go over, okay, here are our angles to cut. There were a lot of them when I went back to the tape, but there was a lot of like, okay, this is the read. They didn't do it, but it's there. It's open. And, and it's something that I know that they're going to be able to do. So um, I, I expect Denver to get a little 
little bit more out of that. I think Jokic will have more assists from that. I don't think the assist thing was solely just a, you know, they trust Gobert to guard Jokic one-on-one kind of thing. I think Denver's going to get the ball in their spots, whether it be in the pick and roll, the dribble handoff game, which they really didn't capitalize on a lot in this game, but I think they will going forward. Um, So I think they'll get a lot more cuts. Um, There's so many details that go into defense, and and, and Michael Porter has so few of the habits. And it's not even – this is why I say with some things, I think his athleticism and his length – on the second and third watch, especially, you know, I stood out and I go, you know what? He's not, he's not doing that bad. There's, there's something here. Um, but there's also little details where it's like, Hey, just how to get around a screen. How do you trick the screener to set to planting his feet just a half second early so that you can duck under it or duck over it? Um, little tricks like that, that he just doesn't have in his tool, tool, uh, toolbox yet. And I think that going forward, it might take a full season. It's not going to happen in 48 hours. It's not going to happen in this series, probably not going to happen in this playoffs, but I do think it's going to be one of those things that he can work on with his trainer things he can work on with the coach Denver Nuggets coaching staff and something that over the course of an 82 game season he's going to learn little subtle nuances about how to get around screens how to get the how to force the defense to go where they don't want to go and things like that that he just is is completely um, lacking at the moment Jokic going four of seven again it was just absolutely huge from three I'm so curious him and and Torrey Craig are such wild cards when it comes to Denver's office offense if Torrey Craig has another night where he shoots like this and Jokic has another game where he shoots like this I think that Utah is going to have no choice but to change how they defend teams always want to pick their poison with Denver but if Torrey and Jokic can knock down threes consistently from behind the arc they're going to have to pick a different poison because Denver's going to I think Denver can run away with it um they're and Jokic's willingness, and I should say the entire team, I mean, they knocked down, I can't remember how many threes in that first quarter, but Denver's willingness to take those, to me, was as impressive as, they're, as them making it. Because to me, it showed, you know, Michael Malone has talked about his team having confidence going into this playoff series. They're just, they're, they're, they consider themselves a little bit more, you know, they're, they're veterans now. They've been there, they've been through, and I, and I believe it. It's true. Like, they went through really tough series last year. They went to two game sevens. They fought tooth and nail. They went to a four overtime game and then bounced back 36 hours later and won this team isn't fully battle tested the way you know like a 2014 spurs or you know one of those real true um teams that have been to, in the in the playoffs and in deep playoff runs for years and years but i do think denver has a lot of experience they, they have more than most um and so i think that you know their confidence going into this one really shined and just their ability and their willingness to take some of the shots that they needed to take in the rhythm of the offense and and to me that's really encouraging one of the sneaky most important things, and I show both of these clips on the list, and it's, man, another sort of pivot point to me where I look at this and I go, man, Denver was so close to actually making this game really wide open. To end the first quarter, Jordan Clarkson hits a buzzer beater, tough shot, good defense, just better off. I mean, just prayer of a three-pointer, and he nails it. Denver was up, I believe, nine points. No, they were up, I think, 12 po- 11 points. I can't remember. It might have been 11 points. And then you come in from him hitting that to the first play of the second quarter, and he does it again. Falls down, Mason Plumley on him at the three-point line, and he shoots a one-legged Dirk fall away from three and hits it. So two absolute prayer three-pointers that go in. And, um, you know, a little bit of it is just bad luck, but it's also one of those things where it's like Denver was right on the cusp of opening up a 12, 13, 14-point lead. Back-to-back bad breaks that resulted in two three-pointers in a row before Denver even touched the ball. You know, those are the types of things I look at and I go, okay, yes, some things went Denver's way, some things went Utah's way. I think Denver can clean that up. There was another example, of course, you remember at the end of the half, Denver's up 12 points, 12, with like a minute 20 to go. 
They end up with three or four consecutive turnovers, fast breaks that just didn't, you know, alley-oops that they didn't convert, little plays like that, and the Jazz are able to cut it down. Denver with a 12-point lead. If you go into the half with a 12-point lead, you have a huge cushion, um, and, and it's that much more of an uphill climb for Utah. So Denver twice had sort of a big lead right in their hands, and they let it go off of a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of lack of focus. But I think when they get into the, the film room or when they got into the film room today, I think that they went over those things and have to be going in with the more focus and, and just an understanding of, hey, this is where we really step on their throat. Denver opened up these leads over and over again and then lost them. And, and to me, that's kind of encouraging, actually, because they think you can fix that. Nuggets played the tall um, lineup, and I thought it was really interesting. Some of this was just because Torrey Craig gets in foul trouble right away in the third quarter. So they bring in Jeremy Grant. You basically slide Michael Porter to two. You go with Jeremy Grant at three. Um, you have Paul Millsap at the four, and you have Jokic at the five, Jamal Murray at the, at the one. Super tall lineup. Very interesting lineup. And can I tell you something? It was not that bad. Nine minutes they played, and they had a 66.6 defensive rating. A 66.6. Now, I know on a nine-minute sample size, that doesn't mean much, but you know, to a shot here or there can really change that to you know a 90. They're, they're three makes away, basically, allowing three makes away from having like a 110. But nonetheless, I watched the possessions and paired it with this, and Denver defended. That length, Jeremy Grant... Paul Millsap on the backside made some phenomenal. He was much better defensively than I thought in this game. That lineup was on the court against the starting lineup for Utah, and it was very good. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell hit some really tough threes that I just, you know, he had 57 points. A lot of people, I think, even myself said, you know, I could see, uh, I could see them him having like a repeat performance of this. I could see him having 40. I could see him having 45. I might even see him having 50 again in this series. Maybe if he really goes off. 57 is the third most points in, a, in, in NBA playoffs history. And you don't get to 57 just by being good. You're also in an insane zone. And I just don't know that he's going to hit some of the step back threes, some of the off the dribble threes that he hit in this game. I just don't think he's going to hit those to that degree. And so it took both him doing that and a bunch of other things with Denver playing some great defense. And still they held Donovan Mitchell on the court with all the starters to a 66 defensive rating over this like nine-minute stretch that I thought was really impressive. So I think we're going to see that tall lineup again, at least in shorter, maybe in, in, in significantly shorter bursts. But I have a little bit of faith in it. I'm really curious. Now that lineup did get outscored, and I think in large part because Denver went really, really cold. I mean, Millsap just couldn't score down that stretch, got a lot of great looks. I think he's the guy teams are going to leave open. They didn't go to their switches. They had, you know, Donovan Mitchell guarding Michael Porter Jr. Well, let's try to find a, a, an opportunity to get him the ball down low. Um, they weren't able to do that. I think they're going to look at the film and see opportunities for Millsap, see opportunities for Michael Porter inside and, and see what they have there. So um, I was really encouraged by that lineup because it defended so well. And, and Denver just got cold. And when they went cold, here's one thing that I think also happened in the film. When they went cold, Denver started to get a little bit more risky, a little bit more aggressive in a dumb way on the defensive end. You, of course, remember Torrey Craig overplaying one pass to the corner turns into a wide-open three. You remember Jokic trying to get a steal out, out on the perimeter, out on the wing that he had really not that great of a chance of trying to get, and he ends up giving up a wide-open shot. So Denver, I think they got frustrated because they missed like seven or eight shots in a row, and the offense just, as much as there was good process that wasn't being rewarded, and then they just got a little, a little foolish on that end. So those were my big takeaways I mean we obviously talked about the fourth quarter we talked about overtime and, and some of that other big picture stuff but these were little details that when I watched I said you know what 
there's a lot more adjustments Denver can make, and there's a lot of things that didn't go their way that I think can go their way in game uh, in game two. And like I said, I walked away from rewatch really sort of more confident and, and sort of more excited to see what happens in game two. Take a quick break to tell you about the Avalanche Amber from Breckenridge Brewery. You heard it. I'm having tomorrow, 2 o'clock game, having at least one. I might have another one during the post. If it's a winner's lounge, I'm definitely probably going to get another tall members-only Avalanche beer, Avalanche Amber um, from the DNVR bar, especially as the Avs uh, play as well tomorrow. So um, looking forward to that. You guys know Breckenridge Brewery. They're in the DNA of DNVR. They're part of the DNVR DNA. Um, you can check out the farmhouse. You can uh, order their sampler packs. You can check out the Breck Brew locator. Find out who around you has some Breck Brew. You're watching the game tomorrow. You're trying to come up with all these traditions. What do I do? How do I create good luck? What am I, you know, everybody has their little good luck charms. Well, what better luck if you're watching the game, you're watching the DNVR post game show live on YouTube. If you are not subscribed already, search for DNVR, subscribe, and then you'll catch our post game live from the DNVR bar. Create a tradition. Get your crack open a fresh Breck brew. Find out which one is your lucky one, and it's uh, and then stick with that one for the rest of the Denver Nugget season. Avalanche Amber, uh, Colorado Core, Hot Peak, Strawberry Sky. Everybody keeps ordering the, uh, I call it the Hot Peak IPA. RK calls it the RK Special. You can call it what you want. Apparently, it's become super popular at the DNVR bar. I've never tried it. I'm going to have to try this before too long. But you guys know, DN, um, Breckenridge Brewery is part of the DNVR DNV, uh, DNA. <laughs> so give them, a, give them a holler. And then, of course, I also want to tell you about MSU Online. University right now, if you're looking to make a uh, you know a career switch, if you just want to educate yourself, maybe you want to audit a course, um, you know, sort of better yourself, learn something new about the world. Of course, MSU Denver Online has uh, dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and learn, learn and living your life. They've got all kinds of great programs. Um, you know, you heard about Harrison taking the course. You heard about Ali um, taking a gap year. Plans change. Their mission never does. Use your gap year to maximize your skills. All right, back here to the show, and I want to talk about now what things can happen in Game Two if Denver is going to win. Number one, and maybe the most single most important relative to the likelihood of it it happening. Corey Craig staying on the court without foul trouble. So this is double-edged. Number one, staying on the court. If he can play 33, 34 minutes tomorrow, maybe even more than that. I mean, he only got 21 in this last one. But if he can play 33, 34, not only do I think Donovan Mitchell will struggle a lot more than he did. I mean, clearly 57 points. But I, I think Denver actually can really cut the sort of the – is it the head off the dragon or the head of the snake? I think it's the head of the snake. They can cut the head of the snake off. Um, the head of the spider, I guess I'll call it here. Oh, God, that was terrible. Um, but I think that if, if he stays on the court, Denver's going to be in great uh, in a great spot. And more importantly, if he stays on the court without foul trouble, there's playing defense and then there's playing defense with fouls where you're concerned about fouling and you're kind of maybe being a little bit more cautious. If he can get that through that first quarter without a foul and then start to really put the pressure on, to me, I think that just puts Denver in a great spot. Their rotation can be a little bit more shored up. I think Malone has to be a little less concerned about, okay, what combos do I go? They're so shorthanded, um, Denver is, be, and that – I think Michael Malone, when Craig went out in the third, part of what happened was Denver was just thrown off with, okay, how do we throw a, a, a rotation out here that not everybody comes out at the same time and, and, and this and that. So Torrey Craig staying out of foul trouble I think is key. My confidence level on that, not that high. I have a lot of confidence that he's going to play more than 21 minutes. Um, but 
can he play 35? Can he get through the whole game? Can he play 40 tomorrow night and and avoid foul trouble? If he can, I just think that that Donovan Mitchell is going to get worn out. It's not that he can't score on Torrey Craig. He can. He's a great player. He's a he's a phenomenal player. But he has to work that much harder to score on Torrey Craig. And he already wore himself out. Watching this game again and again, you know, three times now, Donovan Mitchell was exhausted at the end of this game. I mean, he really had to dig deep um, to, to sort of do what he did. And I think if Torrey Craig is guarding him the whole time, it, that that's just going to wear him out and it's going to put Denver in a great spot because they rely on Donovan Mitchell so much to create offense for them and Torrey Craig just really really makes things difficult on him I think the second so I think that's that that one's likely to happen at least in some degree it's going to be better than it was in game one I think number two if Michael Porter Jr. adjusts to the intensity of of playoff basketball and this is another one that I would be shocked if he didn't um, you know Michael Porter Jr. wants to be great his teammates have his back and, and and believe in him. It was neat seeing Will Barton today talk to Jameer Nelson and just kind of continue to hype this dude. And, um, you know, it, I don't think the teammates have lost confidence by any means. And like I said, on rewatch, there was a lot of opportunities where I go, okay, I think he's going to make that play, you know, more often than not, and he didn't in this one. So I think he needs to adjust to the intensity and kind of just like, oh, okay, everything's kind of at 100% in the playoffs, so just up your, you know, have him go. We've seen Michael Porter when he's been really locked in, and he looks like he's the puncher. Yesterday he was the punchy. He was getting punched. He can grab some boards. Um, He hasn't rebounded great over the last three or four games. And I think some of that is in the regular season, guys just don't box out. They're not focused on it. In the playoffs, scouting reports are handed out. Probably line number one for Michael Porter Jr. is this guy hits the offensive glass every time you have to box him out, every single time. So it's going to be harder. Nonetheless, I think he can be aggressive in there, um, knock down some of those shots that he took and missed yesterday, especially from the three-point line. He got some decent looks, uh, hit him early, didn't hit him late. If he can knock down a couple shots, it really just changes sort of how how the game is going to go. His his points, I, I'd say that like three point shots in particular, but especially three point shots that come from a guy that can just like shoot over the defense. Those points add up quick. You know, there's some points you work really hard, you work the ball around for all this time, and then you end up getting like a tough contested shot or whatever, and you make it. It just seems like okay, this is a slog. A guy comes down and he not he knocks down two threes in like two or three possessions, and it's just like man, this is this is starting to add up quick. That's what Michael Porter brings. So if you can get a little. Um, you know, we had the Murray flurry late. If you can get a Michael Porter flurry um, a couple times in this game, maybe a first quarter and a third quarter Michael Porter run, um, to me that just opens up that Utah has such a hard time scoring anyway that that alone, one or two of those, is going to extend this game and and, and make it difficult for Utah to keep pace. And then just confidence. I mean, I, I'm curious to see what his confidence looks like. I thought it was great to start. I think he was a little shell-shocked as, as the game went on. I want to see how he responds to that. I think it'll be really telling about what kind of you know where he's at right now mentally um how he responds to this game one um so i'm curious to see if he comes out confident aggressive and intense uh, i think that really also pushes things in denver's favor and makes them better than they were in game one um number three here Millsap impacts the game on offense defensively i thought he was a lot better than the you know the second time around but offensively he was really atrocious I'm curious to see how Michael Malone handles it. If it were me, I would probably pull him out of the game four or five minutes into it, really early. He'd be the first sub out. I'd throw Jeremy Grant in there, and then I would bring him back in with the second unit. Utah's 
line just does not have that much uh, firepower, especially off of their bench. And I think if you brought Millsap in and he was going at guys like Niang, going at guys like um, you know whoever it is that they have to switch onto him in the post, I think he can win those battles, draw some fouls, and and muck things up and really help that second unit go on a run. So he was really not a help at all on the offensive end. He can knock down shots. He can post up whatever. If he can be insert himself into the offense, that gives Denver a little bit of a jolt as well. The Jokic-Murray game has to continue, the two-man game. I mean, they they kind of went to it late. I'm very curious to see if Denver gets a little more out of it early. I mean, we know that's Denver's sort of security blanket down the stretch, so maybe they won't even you know, rely too heavily on it early on. But I'd be curious to see if there's some carryover, if early on in this game they do manage to get some looks out of it and just how that affects Utah. I wouldn't be surprised if Utah has some trick up their sleeve defensively for that specific action. And if they run it early enough, I'm curious to see, and if they have some success with it, I'm curious to see if Utah sort of shows their hand and and tries to make some big adjustment. And if they do, can Denver sort of pick at that in the second half and say, okay, here's what they're doing. We're going to attack it and try to break it down. I'm very curious about that. Um, I think more locked into closed quarters. I talked about this. Denver had big leads. They had opportunities to go up 15, you know, 12, 13, 15 points, and they didn't take advantage. So I want to see, did they talk about that as a team? And is it a point of emphasis? You know, you get up a 12-point lead, Utah calls a timeout. Is that a, hey, this is the moment. Everybody lock in because we can really put it on. Um, and then own the bench minutes. I don't think they did that necessarily in this first game. Um, but if you can own the bench minutes, it's twofold. Not only do you get a little bit more momentum going, you have to you force Donovan Mitchell back on the court. You force Rudy Gobert. You force a Joe Ingles back on the court. And if you do that, those guys are going to wear down. And, and I think that's going to be so key, not just for Denver now, but you think about you know, Mike Conley's coming back at some point. He's already inside the bubble, uh, it was reported today. He might be back for game three. I think that would be pushing it, but it might happen. If you if, if he's back for game three and you have a 2-0 lead and, oh, by the way, the guys that have played had to play 40 minutes just to stay in them and now they're exhausted, well, now game three comes and Mike Conley's fresh and they're more dynamic, but maybe they're already starting to show some signs of fatigue. So bench, own those minutes, give the starters a little bit more rest so that the Utah starters have to play more minutes than Denver starters, and I think that's a, a double win. Take another break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about what they can do, uh, what would happen if they're going to lose tomorrow. Our first sponsor here to start segment three is, of course, another one in the DNVR DNA. It's Strava Craft Coffee. Haven't stra- uh, tried it yet? We're selling Strava Cold Brew at the DNVR Bar tomorrow, 2 o'clock game. 2 o'clock, I, don't, I like a 2 o'clock coffee. I think I might like 2 o'clock coffee more than I like morning coffee. It's like that good like second wind you know you get. Um, you can subscribe and save 20% with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code, and now you can save 20% off your favorite coffee forever. You have to put uh, your CC info in again. You can, and with the subscription, you can get your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. I mean, however much coffee, everybody's a little bit different. Um, you know, there's some people that just chug it, and, and there's some people like myself that maybe has like one one cup a day. That's all I need. That, that two o'clock, that afternoon one, that's what I like. So don't forget, check out Strava Craft Coffee, CBD infused, really helps with headaches, migraines, back pain, whatever you got. See, really like a wonder drug give them a try also want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook sure the regular season was fun but things get a little bit crazier once the playoffs begin with DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app you can get in on all of the action um, to celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you, that's right, you listening to this, an amazing free bet offer. For every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 
worth of free bets. Head to the app right now. Check out all they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Right now, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right onto your phone, and you can use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, last segment here, the NBR Nuggets podcast. What will happen? What what kind of things can Denver do to ensure that they lose? Another way, in other words, what kind of things if they happen, it'll be a real negative for the Denver Nuggets. Number one, if Utah Jazz rain threes, it's no mystery. Utah likes to shoot the three, and they can get really hot. I think they're streaky. I think I think Utah is a team that scores in bunches and then goes on giant droughts, and we saw this in Game One. Denver can help themselves out by not allowing Utah to sort of get in, a, get in a rhythm. Come out early. Punch hard. They're going to be the more desperate team. You can't allow that to happen. You have to match that intensity, especially on the defensive end, and don't let them shake loose. I'd be curious to see if the Denver Nuggets sort of are okay with Donovan Mitchell sort of getting going again and sticking a little bit more to the perimeter, stunting down, of course, not giving him up, but just saying, hey, we're not going to let them start to catch fire at any point in this game. If Denver can do that, if Utah just has another shooting night like this one where they don't, they're not knocking down their three, I think Denver wins almost regardless of what else happens in the game. That's that important to what Utah does. Um, I think if Torrey Craig or Nikola Jokic get into foul trouble, Denver's in trouble. Um, you know, obviously Jokic, I don't really need to talk about him. If he's in foul trouble, Denver's I, – I just don't – it completely changes the fabric of the team. But Torrey Craig's the same way in terms of 21 minutes. We now know that, that if that happens – Donovan Mitchell is going to be very, very comfortable, so Torrey Craig can't get into foul trouble. I think if Denver goes cold, I mean, they did shoot well, but Denver, I think, is less streaky on the offensive end than the Utah Jazz are, but they're another one that when they go cold, they kind of just have bad quarters and things snowball. Their, their defense gets sloppier. Um, you know, maybe Malone tinkers with the rotation a little bit more. I think Denver needs to sort of shoot the ball, maybe not as well as they did in game one from the three-point line, but they just need to, to avoid those prolonged droughts, those, those periods where you go, man, they just can't find the basket right now. I think if Michael Porter is a complete non-factor, that would be another sort of real negative thing for them. Um, you know, I think they can win games without Michael Porter, but not a lot of them. I mean, their odds go way down. So if he's a complete non-factor, nothing on the boards, nothing from behind the line, um, you know, they, they go from favorites in the series to or favorites in a game to underdogs in a game. I think it, it's, it's, it swings it just a little bit. This is like a 55-45 series at the moment. Tomorrow's game, probably a 55-45 type game. Michael Porter is involved. That goes up probably 10%. If he's not, that probably goes down 10%. And then if Utah owns the boards, this was one of the more surprising things in this game that Denver, you know, that's usually one of their big strengths and it wasn't in this game. So Torrey Craig probably has a little bit to do with that. He's a very good rebounder. Um, Him not being in the game as much. Of course, Jeremy Grant had zero rebounds in that game. I don't know that you can count on a ton from him. Um, But, you know, the the, the usual suspects, the Jokic's, the Michael Porter Juniors, the Jamal Murray's, seeing those guys hit the the glass, even, you know, um, um, I was very imp- impressed with P.J. Dozier's defense. I wouldn't be surprised if Denver tries him on 
on Donovan Mitchell a little bit more tomorrow in second units. Um, but if Denver can hit the boards and, and kind of own that battle, not lose it, but own that battle, then um, you know I think they win. And if they don't, I think Utah's odds go way up. So I'm feeling good about it, guys. I hope you are as well. It's exciting. We're going to be back from the DNVR bar either way. If you're listening to this as a podcast, we appreciate it. Leave a rating and review. If you want to check out the, the post-game show on YouTube, we highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. There's energy. There's analysis. We play games. We look at highlights. We interact with fans. I, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Maybe the single favorite thing I've ever done is our Winner's Lounge and Loser's Lounge. Um, so if you consume it as a podcast already and you're at work and you want to watch and see all, what it's all about, head on over to YouTube. Open up YouTube on your laptop or phone or tablet. Subscribe to DNVR and then click on the live post-game show uh, as, soon as, it, uh, as soon as it launches, usually five to ten minutes after the game uh, final buzzer sounds. So thanks so much, everybody. We hope to see you over there, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, hopefully in a Winner's Lounge. We'll see you then. Last thing, guys, WGT Golf on your phone. Awesome app. You can go to DNVR Golf to download it. It's a lot of fun. Every week we do um, some kind of tournament. We're going to start doing prize giveaways for people to participate in that. What you do is you download the WGT Golf app or video game onto your phone. It's really great. It doesn't cost anything to sign up. Um, you create a little avatar, and then you start practicing. You can go to the practice course. It teaches you all the controls. You can play on real holes with real photographs of the holes. It's incredible. These gra- I couldn't believe the graphics on this phone. Like, it, um, Video games have come so far. It's actually really, really amazing. And then you just play golf, and then every weekend you sign up for – you you join the, dub, um, the DNVR 3 Clubhouse, and then – There'll be a tournament every weekend on Friday. We launch a new tournament. You participate in it, and if you win, you win a prize. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't tried it out already, I highly recommend it. And then, of course, join DNVR3 Clubhouse so you can get in on all of our little competitions. Maybe make some friends and just have a good time.